Hello, welcome to Burger Barn Bazaar. Would you like our triple patty cheeseburger with fries and a shake? What hmm? is it that makes the shepherd different from the minimum wage earners of his day? Find out on today's Bible Study Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm glad to be with you another week to talk about God's Word with you. We will, of course, be picking up again here in John 10, starting in verse 12, and hopefully making our way all the way through verse 15. I'd also like to encourage you to check out a website that one of our listeners has sent in to me. This is a site for John Miller, who recently ran a marathon across the Great Wall of China. Now, on this site, he is raising money for from his run in order to support the persecuted Christians worldwide by smuggling media like Bibles and youth workbooks, which, you know, we in the UK and in the USA, we can get freely. They're working to take these in to these persecuted Christians to help them to grow in their faith under persecution. I know that he needs a lot of help to get to this goal, so please check out his site, which is at http colon backslash backslash www dot justgiving dot com slash great wall runner now thanks for your help in supporting the bride of Christ as it suffers abroad guys I, I think it's important that we remember that as we freely talk about Christ as our shepherd there are many places across the world that do not have that luxury in fact there are a number of listeners to this very podcast that have let us know that if they were caught listening to this program they could be in jail They could be beaten. Even worse, they could be killed. I know I personally so often forget that we're not just studying the Bible as a thing to do or as a a cool task or just something that builds us up, but we're literally talking about the difference in life or death, both temporally and eternally. We're going through God's Word to us, the only book He ever wrote to His people. So I encourage you to join me as we consider those who are not as free to look into His writings. In fact, I would like to just take a moment here of just a moment of silence and ask you to pray for those who are being persecuted for their faith. Pray that they would realize the joy of their salvation and know that in their sufferings they are drawing nearer to the savor of their souls. The Great Shepherd. So let's just take a moment here and then I'll open up our study in prayer. Our great God, we are humbled to know that while we are often lazy, while we may be apathetic towards your word, that the message of the cross marches on around the world. We take this time to praise you for those zealous warriors who are doing your work around the world, and we pray that you would provide them the strength that they need to endure the persecutions they suffer through, whether it's physical, emotional, political, financial, or any other type of suffering. Help all of us as a church to be prepared to face the crucible of suffering, as it's through that tool we are often refined and shaped. Thank you for the free gift of your Son, Jesus, whose death and resurrection has made us whole and allows us to carry the greatest message on the earth. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. 
It's kind of funny that the persecuted church would be brought to my attention before this podcast. As we shall see in John 10, verses 12 through 15, the question that must be answered and the question that is the very cause of suffering for these people around the world is who is Jesus? More specifically, from our passage, the question could be worded, what makes Jesus different from the others? And that's what we'll address today. To start properly, though, let's start a verse earlier at verse 11 and read from there through verse 13 as we'll see yet another comparison between Jesus and other groups. Earlier in the passage, we saw Jesus comparing himself to the thieves and the robbers. Now we will see the comparison of himself with the hired hand and with the wolf. So let's read from verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he is not the owner of the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Now what is a hired hand? I I would like to suggest that in order for you to really grasp this position, you need to think in terms of a tiered employment system, almost like a caste system. In the economic system of this time, when the parable is taking place, those who were not family members could essentially be ranked in three classes. The first class would be that of a bond servant, a person who maybe was a servant to the family but is in good standing, and he chooses to stay with the family. You know, this is the top employment. These are the guys who aren't forced to be there but commit themselves to a family because they know that they're in good standing with the family and the family is in good standing with them. The second class would be the servant. He reports to the bond servant but is still committed to the wants and needs of the family. You know, they're more of a permanent employee but they're still not quite as high as the bond servants. Lastly, the, the last and lowest class is that of the hireling or the hired hand. He's someone that's commonly in the Bible equated with the poor, with the hungry. You know, in the Old Testament, we see a lot of times when, when God commands them to take care of the poor and the hungry, he commands them to take care of the hired hand as well, equating the two together. His role is simply to be a contract servant. He'd be brought in for a specific task that the owner needed, but didn't have the manpower to do. He, he would basically be on par with one who works for minimum wage in our, our day, kind of like a day laborer. You know, I mean, this is common today in fields like construction industry and sometimes in landscaping, not as much in fast food, but somewhat in fast food, where you'll have people brought in maybe for a week to help complete a job, and and they just fulfill the terms of this contract, and that's it. However, there was a certain reputation that came along with the hired hand, and, and that was one of kind of laziness and selfishness. The feeling that many had of these hired hands was that they simply didn't want to work. They didn't want to work hard enough to move up the ladder. Might I note that this is still the case today in our economy here in America. The general feeling is that if someone is not working or is working a minimum wage job, that it's a question of effort or laziness more than a question of skill or or will or ability. Now while this is unfair and is not usually the case today, or for then for that matter, this is the perception that the hired hand kind of carries. And it is a perception that truly brings out the picture Jesus is forming in this parable. As he's comparing himself 
to those religious leaders to come. Now, we saw the Pharisees as the thieves and the robbers. We saw them along the lines of a false prophet, those who seek to take what is God's and use it for themselves, those who come through the wrong way. They don't come through the gate. They're doing things their own way and for their own benefit. Now we see another class of people in the hired hands who are not opposed to the sheep per se. They're not out to get the sheep. They didn't even come in through a bad way. They came in through the shepherd. But they're still just in it for themselves. Let's look at their description to get a grasp of these hired hands in the parable. First we notice that the hired hand is not the shepherd. You know, while this might seem obvious, it's very important to identify who this hired hand is, and we see that he's not the shepherd, and he's not the owner of the sheep. So thus, point two is that since he's not the owner of the sheep, when he sees the wolf on the horizon, his first thought is not to protect the sheep, but instead it's to leave the sheep and flee. The word here literally means run away. (laughs) Just turn and go. Now, in case you wondered why he would do this, Jesus reiterates in verse 13, he ran away because he is the hired servant, and he's not concerned with the sheep. The Greek here seems to indicate that it's not just that he's not concerned, but rather, the sheep don't matter to him. He, he really doesn't care. His first concern is his pay and his life. Notice the contrast between this and the good shepherd in verse 11. The good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Quite a stark comparison, isn't it? See, one who is fully committed to the sheep and will even die to protect them. You see, another who is in it strictly for pay, not even for good pay, but for pay, and when his own life is threatened, he's gone. You see, friends, while we must look out for those who are false prophets and those who seek to kill and steal and destroy us, we must also be aware that not everyone who leads us will be in it for our good. We must realize that there will be some who are put in leadership, whether it be in a church or in a ministry or Bible study or whatever it may be, who sadly are just in it for the benefits, whether those benefits are pay, prestige, you know, some other kind of perk, whatever it may be. I want to make a comment here about the wolf in a second, but I'd like to kind of sum up the picture first that is given of all the people in this passage, all these different groups, because the wolf is in somewhat of a different class, and we'll get back to that in a moment, but the picture does not look good for those who follow Christ at this point in regards to all these other people who are mentioned in this passage. Not only are we to beware of those who are clearly trying to come in and steal us from the flock of Christ, those false prophets, those cults, those other religions which seek to remove us from the fellowship of Christ. But now we're warned that even those who are around us, who are leading us, who are standing in on behalf of the shepherd, not all of them will be true. That is, some of the pastors we deal with, some of the leaders, some of our teachers, some of us will only be in it for the money, for the fame, for the position. They'll take us into the pasture just as a shepherd would. They'll play with us as the shepherd. They'll lead us to green pastures for rest. But whenever trouble comes, they're the first to leave. For their concern never was the sheep. So what are we to do? Who can we trust? Who can we turn to? I think the message here is very clear. The shepherd 
is the one we must follow. He is the one who truly provides for us. He is the one who truly protects us. In fact, he would go as far as laying down his life for us to protect us from those who seek to harm us. With that said, I would like to make a note here in regards to church leadership. In saying that we should only follow after the Good Shepherd, after Jesus, I'm not giving you authority to totally disregard everything your pastor or Bible teacher or small group leader or whatever church leadership it may be says to you. No, what I'm saying is that as the sheep, you must follow the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd has placed those hired hands over you for your benefit. However, here's the caveat. As responsible followers of Christ, we are called to follow our pastors and our leaders as much as they follow Christ. The hired hand is only worth his while if he is carrying out the commands of his contractor. To bring a builder out to just come and work is no good unless he's staying true to the plans of the contractor, of the lead builder. So what's the solution? I think the answer is that as followers of Christ, as Christians, we must seek to set a high standard for our leaders, but we also better be prepared to equip those leaders to stand on that podium. I don't think it's a bad thing to expect a lot from our leaders, but I think it's a bad thing to expect a lot from our leaders without giving them the support they need. Trust me, if any of your pastors or ministry leaders were honest with you, they'd tell you that the hardest part of doing their job is the fact that they are little more than sheep themselves. But they have been called upon to be more. They are growing with Christ, just as you are. But they're called to a higher standard. So we need to support our leaders in prayer regularly. Lift them up to the Good Shepherd so that He may train them. He may nurture them. Talk to your leaders regularly. Let them know that you are there to support them. Let them know if they need help, that you'll be there. They might not respond initially, but just let them know anyway. Make it your goal to single out one of the leaders over you, whether it's a pastor, a ministry leader, a, a Sunday school teacher, whatever. You know, anyone who has been given authority in the body of Christ, get to know one of those guys. Get to know what they're like. Get to know what hurts them. Get to know what you can do to help them. And then do it. Let me tell you, friends, as one who's been working as a ministry leader for the past five weeks in a large church, I, I can tell you, it's one of the loneliest places for a Christian to be in. And it's one of the most stressful places to be a Christian in. You're expected, and rightfully so, I believe, to be in a growing relationship with Christ. And yet you often feel the weight of those watching you daily and are afraid to let others know that you need help. You know, you're called upon to be the teacher, to be the leader, but you yourself are often in need of teaching and mentoring and leading. If there's anything I can encourage those of you who are listening to do from this podcast, it would be to let your pastors and ministry leaders know that you're willing to let them be a Christian around you. You know, make an effort. Say you'll pick out this one leader and take them out for, you know, a soda, take them out for a coffee, take them out for a hamburger, just... Do something ordinary, just the two of you. Maybe take them out to play a game of basketball with a group of two or three. Maybe take them out for a game of golf. Just something to be an ordinary Christian. And just the two of you, or maybe even the small group of you, go 
and allow that leader to be with you and be a regular person. Allow the group of you to share your true feelings with one another, to share your struggles with one another, and know it's safe. You know, don't don't take advantage of your leaders. Allow them to have a safe place for them to come to you, for them to come to your group of two or three and just say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this. And don't just blab it over the church. Work on it as brothers. You know, I, I think this is something I believe we should all do with one another's. But I especially feel the need to make an emphasis in light of this passage with our pastors and leaders in mind. Be a brother to them. You know, I know sometimes it's hard to approach our pastors and we sometimes think of them as, oh, they're much holier than we are. They're they're up on a pedestal somewhere. But I think we trap our pastors, we trap our leaders and our teachers when we do that. And a lot of times it doesn't turn out pretty. A lot of times they may even regress as a result of this type of action. Because who do they have to turn to? If you're supposed to be the leader of your church and you're supposed to be the standard of holiness, what do you do when you're faced with temptations? What do you do when you just need fellowship? That's where I'm calling all of us. And I'm not just saying this to you guys. I'm calling myself to this as well. I'm calling us to take on the task of finding these leaders and following their lead as they follow Christ, but making their life so they can follow Christ. Take some of their burden. Take some of their struggles. Go with them. Learn to follow Christ yourself and help them to follow Christ. Work together as a brotherhood. I I mean, I realize this is a soapbox that I didn't really fully expect to get on this long, but it's something I feel we need to realize. Jesus has made it clear in this passage that there is a definite danger that our pastors and leaders these people who are hired hands, there's a danger that they could fall into apathy. They could fall into selfish motives of just doing it because they get paid. Work to support them so that we can avoid this temptation. Now I'd like to make a note on the character of the wolf. Many times you will hear people talk about Satan as the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy based on the earlier parts of this passage. And, and while it's true that Satan is called a murderer, even back in John eight forty four, see that Jesus says, you're of the devil, and the devil is a murderer from the start. These people, these thieves and robbers, they're not Satan. You know, as we've seen in the passage, they're talking about these false prophets, about Pharisees. No, J- Satan in this passage is personified by the wolf. Notice the difference between the thieves and the robbers and the wolf in this passage. The thieves are carrying out their ways in an attempt to gain or profit from the sheep. The wolf comes only to seize them, literally to snatch them. We'll come back to this idea of the devil trying to snatch sheep from the shepherd probably next week. But notice that while the work of the thieves and the work of the wolf both end in the death of the sheep, they come from different motives and they come from different methods. The thieves are cunning, they're deceptive. They come so that they may gain. The wolf will even attack in the daylight. He has no shame. And he comes strictly to kill and to scatter. And while the thieves have a goal in mind for the sheep, the wolf comes only to destroy the sheep. Interesting juxtaposition here. 
to see both people whose end is similar. Both the thieves and the wolf will end with the destruction of sheep. But they have totally different reasons for doing so. One does it for their own gain. One does it just to destroy. I also find it interesting that the hired hands are not scared off in our passage by the thieves. It's not the false prophets that lay ruin to our leaders, to our hired hands. No, it's the wolf. May we never forget that Satan is constantly striving to take out those whom Christ has re entrusted responsibility of his flock to. The best way to take out a group is to take out its leader. For what is a flock of sheep if it has no one to lead them? It's bait. That's all it's worth. So we must be on guard. And as I said earlier, we must work with our leaders because it is they that are threatened by the wolf. So what is the conclusion of all this in our investigation of what makes Jesus different from all others? Well, let's read in verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, I think the true beauty of this parable comes through here. While the true significance may come in in some other verses, this is the beautiful part to me. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his own, and his own know him. But it's not just that he knows them. He says, he knows them just as the Father knows him, and he knows the Father. Wow, what an incredible statement. Think about this for a second. We have seen many times up to this point in John's Gospel the strength of the relationship between the Father and Jesus. They are one. We've seen it's an intimate relationship, one of full trust, full respect. Its basis is love in the purest sense of the word. They're completely unified in all their tasks, in all of their purposes, in all their thoughts. And now Jesus is telling us that it is that type of relationship that he has with the sheep, that we can have with him if we're in his flock. You see, this is why Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. And it takes us back to the most known verse in John, John 3.16. It says, Because God has so loved the world, he sent his only Son. Here Jesus is saying the same thing. It's because he loves his sheep. It's because he knows them intimately. It's for that reason that he has come. And it's for that reason that he will lay down his life for them. How precious is our relationship to God, that He would take on flesh so that we may be a part of His flock. How precious is that knowledge? How precious is that fellowship that He would even lay down His life so that we could be a part of His flock? The question obviously becomes, well, who will be a part of this flock? If he has this much love for the flock, who is in that flock? Well, we'll see the answer to that next week. But I want to ask you as we close here, are you following Jesus as your shepherd? Please consider that this week. And until we meet again, friends, may God bless and keep you. How could words express? How could songs contain? The richness of your love
fullness of your name For you are higher than every earthly thing You have shown your love in your perfect name Jesus Christ, Prince of Peace Jesus Christ, Savior King This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Jesus.